This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I'm Rachel Ho. We're back with another installment in our A24 retrospective series with 2014's Laggies, directed by the late, great Lynn Shelton. In the last episode of the series, episode 213, Nathan Sizemore from the podcast I Hope You Suffer joined Dakota to talk about Kevin Smith's Tusk. I just realized his, his podcast is called I Hope You Suffer, and personally, I think watching Tusk is a form of suffering, so there's that. <laughs> yes, I didn't even... Quite clear. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's quite... It's, it's an apt uh, podcast title. Um, but if you want to watch or want to hear about a good movie, you can go to episode 211. Dakota and I talked about The Rover with Matthew Simpson um, from Awesome Friday Podcast. So this week, we're joined by Katie Lore and her partner, Mark Allen. Katie is a freelance podcast producer and writes a bi-weekly newsletter about and for the Canadian podcasting community called Pod the North. She's produced podcasts for Vocal Fry Studios and Canada Land's Wag the Doug, as well as her own responsible travel podcast, another excellently titled production called Alpaca My Bags, which I really loved, uh, hosted by Aaron Haynes. Hines, sorry, Aaron Hines. Um, fun fact about Katie, one of the very first podcasts she ever produced was a movie review podcast called Videophilia back in 2015, which was hosted by Scott Juniper and our other guest, Mark Allen. So Mark is a marketer by day and a musician and movie lover on nights and weekends, uh, which has included hosting af- uh, the aforementioned podcast, as well as playing in an indie punk band, Beat Noir, over for over a decade. So Katie and Mark, we're really excited to have you guys here. How are you both doing? Very excited. <laughs> Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. I have to say, Tusk is definitely a very hard movie to watch. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I just, I Tusk is not a movie, whatever. We don't need to get into this again. But. Rachel, it was on the docket. We had to do an episode about it. You conveniently got sick that week yeah. and you missed it. So I'm I don't very know convenient. why you're still complaining. I know. It's just one of those that I still have to talk about it. And um, when we get a, f- a bit more distance from it, then I'll be better about it. But yeah, I, I was very conveniently um, sick, and that was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was nice being just holed up and feeling very unwell, but knowing I didn't have to talk about Tusk. That was really great. Yeah, I um, not feeling unwell, and I to watch a movie <laughs> that makes me feel unwell. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. Thank you. We should just do our own episode about how Tusk is not a good movie. Rachel, <laughs> stop trying to spin off this podcast. <laughs> Um, all right, so we have a lot of ground to cover in this episode because, as always, um, in our A24 retrospective series, we get our guests to answer our A24 four questions. Um, and as we have two of you, so let's get going here. So, Katie, I'm going to start with you. What are your top three A24 films? Okay, so it took me a bit to think about this, and I also revisited my top three over the last couple of days nice. uh, because I we watched Men, and that shifted how I think about uh, Alex Garland. So, um, oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, but basically, my top three, in no particular order, are Under the Skin, Hereditary, and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Very nice, very very good pick. I like that Everything Everywhere All at Once has popped up. It's so, so quickly good. into people because it is so good. It is very, mm. very good. Um, Mark, how about you? What are your What are your top three A twenty four movies? Well, I, I feel like we we're gonna have a few uh, of the same picks here, but uh, I also say I'm I'm terrible at coming up with even top fives. 
I have, a bit, I have a list of honorable mentions, but I will not go through them. I'm going to try to pick my top three. Under the Skin is definitely mm-hmm. one of my top three. I really love Under the Skin, love the vibe, love everything about it. <clears throat> and speaking of vibe, the opposite of that, Good Time. I love Good Time, although it's not a very good time <laughs> when you're watching it. Um, Safdie Brothers are good at making an intense watch, of course. And then I kind of was struggling to pick my next third one. So I'm just going to say it right now because it's fresh, but Green Knight is one I really enjoyed watching not too long ago that it's take on toxic masculinity and obviously the Arthurian tale and stuff like that. So yeah, so Under the Skin, Good Time, Green Knight are my current top three. But again, it's impossible for me to come up with top three. It changes daily, weekly. <laughs> Any I can tell that you're a real movie buff. Yes, I told you. Yeah. I warned you. <laughs> <laughs> I think Green Knight's an interesting pick, too, because that's one that I think when I first watched it, I wasn't so hot on. But as time has gone by, I am warming to it quite a bit. And I, I yeah. actually quite like it's a, it's a very, very nice movie. It lives um, in my brain a little bit. It simmers. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I like that Under the Skin. <laughs> um, I like that Under the Skin, though, is both a pick for both of you. Um, mm-hmm. That's one of my top favorites as well. I, I absolutely adore that movie. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I had um, After Yang as well, but... Uh, I love um, After Yang. Mark, you're going into your top five now. Sorry, Be careful. I'm sorry. My honorable mentions <laughs> list is slipping in. It's <laughs> tough. No, it's really tough picking three. Um, before I get into the next question, actually, I just realized, Dakota, I haven't said hi to you in this episode. So, hello. How are you? Oh, hi. Yeah, I'm here as well, too. Uh, <laughs> My bad. I forgot. I know, I know we're not used to uh, recording together after... Being apart for so long, but it, it is nice uh, to talk to you again. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I just realized I'm like, oh, I didn't even say hi to Dakota. Um, actually, Katie, you mentioned um, how Alex Garland. You watch Men, um, and mm-hmm. your opinion shifted a bit on on Mr. Garland. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, <laughs> Mark and I have had this <laughs> conversation for the last like two days. <laughs> Every like walk with our dog is just like. This is how I feel. Basically, I, I really loved Ex Machina and I really mm-hmm. loved um, Annihilation. We watched Devs and uh, what was the third movie that was on the – oh, Men. Um, but uh, yeah, after watching Men, I kind of was just like, wait, who directed this again? And Because I wasn't super pumped about just like the visuals and just like the women's trauma, just like blatantly, yeah. just the body horror of specifically women's bodies. And then I realized that this was like an ongoing theme throughout all of his main major recent movies, at least. Um, and then I was like, I just like don't know if I love that like a cis white man is telling stories of like women's trauma. Like, I just don't know if he's necessarily the right person for that role. And then Mark and I were talking a bit too about like, oh, well, maybe he was talking to like women while he was doing the script and like directing and getting their opinions on these things. But then I was like, but if he had, like, they would be more blatant in the credits. So like, I don't know if, if he had like, was it a qualified person to like, talk to these things i don't know i just have feelings about how he who he is and the stories that he's telling i don't know if he's the right person for that role and it reminded me of um we were talking about while we were talking about that the uh the last duel that came out i think it was this mm-hmm. year uh yeah. the ben affleck uh, matt damon movie <clears throat> there's three stories that go on and one of them is a, a female uh perspective and they realized while writing it they need to get a female writer to come in to write her story and make sure it's told properly. So, you know, there's feelings about those guys and some, or especially Matt Damon sometimes, but how they are as people. But 
I think that was a credit where credit's due because a lot of directors maybe do get, you know, some sort of consulting or whatever with their, with the script or the story uh, board or whatever. But the, the, the where it lacks is there is no story credit always for mm-hmm. a woman mm-hmm. to share that yeah. perspective. So it's interesting. Yeah, they brought in Nicole Hall of Center for the last duel, and and that really I think helped shape that uh, that section of the movie, and one that I really adore too. Mm-hmm. So yep. I, I think you got a good point there. Yeah, I think it's interesting you raise that about men, and like I'm like you, like I loved Ex Machina. Who doesn't like Ex Machina? Though? It's, it's like, well, so it's, it's so visually pleasing and yeah. like such a fun ride. Yeah. Oscar but Isaac. Yeah, like we love yeah. Oscar Isaac. So <clears throat> yep, we do. Yeah, but I didn't like men. Like it was a very just the blah kind of movie to me. Like I've yeah. completely forgotten about it until very recently. Somebody was like, Oh, I just watched men. Have you guys seen it? I'm like, Oh yeah, I have seen men. I wrote about men, <laughs> but like I just, it's just kind of gone from my yeah. brain. And I wonder if it would have been interesting had he not done it through, like, if you want to talk about the dynamics between men and women, you know, okay. But um, maybe if he had written it through the perspective of a man versus of a woman like if if the whole movie maybe had been through the perspective of one of the 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 many men in the movie um rather than jesse buckley's character maybe then it would have been a bit more interesting coming from his perspective i don't know mm-hmm. but i agree though i think that movie definitely missed a mark but i didn't think to look back at his other movies though and kind of see if there was a pattern that maybe we just weren't cluing in on earlier because we all love ex machina so much i know i don't know what what it was that made me like think back to it other than Mm -hmm. just watching the movie and being like who is this person that decided Mm -hmm. to tell this because it was such a blatant just a blatant thing that's like men can be bad and like (laughs) that's it i'm like cool like this is (laughs) the other thing is mark had a whole list of like spooky horror movies to watch because it is spooky season and mm-hmm. men was on the list and he was sort of shooting me a list of all the titles to go through and men specifically wasn't one of the ones that I picked because I was like oh it's probably just a commentary on how men are bad and like I don't know if I'm in the headspace to watch something like that because our like our world is already shit enough to, like, <laughs> reality is already telling me these things so like i don't know if i want to watch like a horror movie or i worry that it's going to be like a blatant commentary on these things and then it was there wasn't like really much substance to it and then at the end when it's just like awful women's body horror of men yeah. just destroying women's bodies i'm like i don't know if i love this <laughs> yeah. and if you look back to him as a screenwriter it's less evident, but I haven't really audited it fully. But like you think of like 28 days later, those are all men's perspectives. I think mm-hmm. generally speaking, um, I don't, I don't remember sunshine that well. The beach was obviously Leo, but then if you think about, I think it was the oddly the dread movie, the judge dread movie. Um, the villain was a character that I believe was a prostitute that was mutilated. And she rose to the top of some criminal organization. So, so there's still a little bit of a women's trauma storytelling mm-hmm. in, in there and that was like kind of right before and actually there's kind of a a secret rumor that he shadow directed that film but um yeah like his unofficial first film but x machina's official first film so that really he's been doing the women's trauma since x machina kind of i guess x machina is a little different and annihilation is maybe a bit more universal because it's more about dealing with the death of an individual but it is a story about three or four women who are all dealing with their own separate trauma. So he does have a little bit of a theme going on with his yeah. direct movies. 
I'll have to go back and take a look and maybe rewatch. Oh, I don't mind rewatching Ex Machina. I can always do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I probably have to go take a bit of a finer comb through his stuff. Um, yeah. I want to love those movies, but now yeah. I have a hard time. Yeah. I get what you mean. Um, okay. So let's, we, we should have you guys on when we get to men eventually in like <laughs> 10 years when we get there. We'll, we'll have you guys on for that. Um, all right. So Katie, let's, or actually, no, let's Mark. Let's start with you now. Um, what was your introduction to A24? Well, it, it's kind of funny because I didn't realize it was really introduction, but it was that Roman Coppola film. Um, saw that <laughs> many moons ago. And mainly because I was at the time and, and still am, but like a Wes Anderson fan and kind of all the, the Wes Anderson universe, sort of like Roman Coppola obviously was a, co-screenwriter on a lot of Wes Anderson's earlier or not earlier later stuff mm-hmm. and um that movie had obviously the same cast of characters Jason Schwartzman Bill Murray I think wasn't it too and then yeah just it's more I would say for the longest time and still when you go through the A24 list it's almost like you accidentally watch a lot mm-hmm. of those films um and you're just like oh it was an A24 film didn't know that cool um, and I think the reason why I accidentally land on a lot of A24 is because I loved Terrence Malick for a long time growing up. So right. I feel like, and he was kind of that like breakthrough director that kind of changed a lot of, not a lot of, but like he was a, he was a different type of director when he kind of came about. And um, I think his style is a pretty big influence on what gets made under the A24 umbrella, in my opinion. So I would say, yeah, I, I just accidentally land on a lot of A24 films just because of my general taste. That's interesting. I think, I, I think like all of us, if you're of a certain age, I think that your introduction was probably accidental. But I wonder for the younger generation today, um, who's like coming up and discovering movies now, like if they're purposely being like, oh, I've heard of this A24 thing. And they like go and seek out A24, whereas just depending on your how old you are, like it would have been um, just you got, went to the movie and went, oh, this is a good movie. And it happened to be an A24 yeah. movie. That was it. The very first movie, it turns out. When I was yeah. like, oh, that was A24? Cool. <laughs> yeah, and the one you're referencing is A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III, which was their A24's yeah. literally very first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Katie, what about you? So mine is basically the ongoing story of Mark's experience because (laughs) when Mark and I started dating in 2014, he obviously, as you can tell, is a movie buff and was showing me all these movies. And so I think what was I think Under the Skin was the first that you showed me. And I was just like, damn, this movie is so good. I love it so much. And the soundtrack was so good too. Oh, Mm -hmm. that score is just like amazing. Um, And so it's kind of been like a ongoing experience of Mark accidentally finding a 24 movies and me watching them with him. (laughs) And now only until we were invited on this podcast did I realize that there were so many favorite movies of mine that were from that were a 24 movies. And so now I'm just kind of like, Oh, I guess this is like a theme for me that I really like. (laughs) I want to like look out for more movies from this production. I was like, that's really cool. So yeah, Mark was my introduction. (laughs) You're welcome. Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> Actually, I think Under the Skin, not the, you know, the good for them, because I think that was named like the best film of the 2010s, whatever you call that era, um, by IndieWire. Oh, so interesting. interestingly oh, enough, it's a pretty highly credited film, I think. And yeah. under, under uh, it's um, 
I think it's undervalued. I think a lot more people should watch it. Yeah. It is one of those interesting movies that a lot of people do love it and talk very, very highly of it. But at the same time, it's almost like not enough people have seen it still. That's it does feel point. like something that is very much so within the like the niche of if you're really into movies, then you know and love Under the Skin. Um, yeah. But if you're more of a casual movie watcher, you might not know it. Um, however, if you watch it, you will love it. So, totally. yeah. It's, well, I think the other big influence on A24 films is like John Carpenter a little bit. Mm-hmm. I just like, and I, I think that movie has a little bit of that John Carpenter sort of, um, what was that movie with Kurt Russell where he's like an alien? He lands in the thing. The thing. Pardon me? No, the, not the thing. The thing. Starman. No. Starman. Oh, Starman. Yes. Oh, Starman. Yeah. It's kind of got a little bit of Starman vibes to me, just a little bit. So yeah, I do think my influences of things I already did like are, are again why I like A twenty four so much. But that that takes uh, very nicely into actually the next question, which is which director or what di- which director? Yeah, which director, dead or alive, do you think would make a good A twenty four movie? So Mark, you just mentioned John Carpenter. Is that your pick, or, or did you have somebody else no. in mind? I felt like the Malicks and the Carpenters were too obvious because they were mm-hmm. doing it before A24 existed. So I'm just going to throw some two names out there. Uh, the first one is kind of the wild card, which is Bryce Dallas Howard. It kind of comes out of left field. Yes. But I feel like, and I'm a big Star Wars fan, and just judging by <laughs> her episodes, and I know she's done some short films, and obviously she's got the the uh, the, the dad <laughs> who's uh, involved in the industry. But I feel like she could really do a good character piece through A24. And these are usually smaller scale indie productions. And I think she's, and just judging from her few episodes, she's really good at capturing like the humanity of a moment. And obviously that's kind of what A24 is best at. So that's my f- first pickup, but I had a second pick also Star Wars related again, big Star Wars fan. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching Andor a lot. <clears throat> and uh, for years I've been a huge fan of of like Michael Clayton. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie, but yeah, we, yeah, big fans. Tony G, Tony Gilroy. I would love to see him get to do an A twenty four film, just like a political or maybe a spy drama, small scale, doesn't need to be big budget, and uh, yeah, where he's just able to do his thing, his character work, his writing. It's just so good. So I think he would be a, a good pick um, as well. Two very, very nice choices. I love the Bryce Allen Howard shout out too, because um, I agree with you. Like those episodes she did, I think she's a tremendous director, which shouldn't be surprising. Like you said, her father is her father. Um, so yeah, but she she's a really, really great director. And every time I hear Gilroy, I always confuse um, Tony and Dan up. I mean, oh, yeah. brothers. Yeah. So I was thinking, yeah. I'm like, he did Nightcrawler, didn't he? But no, that was his brother. <laughs> um, Katie, what about you? Uh, okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, I thought Mark was going to make this pick and now I feel like he's going to roll his eyes. <laughs> so I'll let you know if he does. Good thing um, it's an audio podcast. You wanna, yeah. <laughs> you um, so my first pick was Ryan Johnson. Uh, okay. Just because I really like the quirk of A24 movies and I feel like he does it so well in such a like, especially watching Laggies, like just the way that they speak in this movie is really funny to me. Um, and I think Ryan Johnson does really fun, creative choices, which I think would be kind of a cool collab. And then my other pick was Jordan Peele. Uh, Cause mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I'm intrigued by this director. 
I still, there's only like what three movies of his out, but I really like his approach to tragedy. And I think a lot of A24 movies kind of have some sort of like tragedy involved in them, (laughs) which I know is your next question. But um, yeah, so I'd be intrigued to see a movie from him. Jordan Peele stuff definitely has the A24 thing to it, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, he, like yeah. his, like, Get Out is a very, even us, actually, too. They they both feel very um, A24-y. Yes. Uh, Ryan Johnson's an interesting pick. I know that some people really don't like him after his Star Wars thing. I, um, we are both huge you know, fans of his big Star Wars. <laughs> Jedi stands. Yes. Really? But, interesting. I've been, I've been with RJ since Brick. I love. <clears throat> yeah, Brick was Brick's a great movie. Brick's a really great movie. Yeah, um, yeah Ryan. That's interesting because now I think it's just the stereotype of him being on the Netflix bandwagon with the with the what's that movie called Glass Onion. That now I think of of Ryan Johnson. I'm like, he's too big. He's too big for for a twenty. He also owns his own production house now. No. So I don't think he's going to be hopping off no. anytime soon. But <laughs> Knives Out was just so fun. He it just was. makes such fun yeah. movies. Like I just like fun movies. Like we don't <laughs> need more awful things like men. We just need tra- like fun fun movies to enjoy that have like fun commentary on things, but don't take themselves too seriously. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, I like a doom and gloom, but um but it's funny I say like I think Ryan Johnson's too big. Like Jordan Peele has a massive deal with Universal he's right huge. now, so he's huge too. Yeah. <laughs> so like it doesn't really it doesn't really matter. It's just um it's just kind of a weird I don't I don't have a hang up on Ryan Johnson. I don't hate him or anything like that. Um like okay, I know good. some people do, but um yeah. If you I'm hated him, up. we'd have to just jet off of this podcast. <laughs> well I think that uh one thing I've always or been thinking about in the last duel is funny it came up recently because I think there is a style of, or a, a budget of movie that doesn't really exist anymore. It's like that mid-tier budget. It's either yeah. Marvel or it's low budget. But A24 movies don't – the budget isn't as felt. It feels like they, they're just made so well. And that's why I chose the Tony Gilroy's because a, a movie like Michael Clayton isn't made in 2022 now. It's too high of a budget. You know, it's just, it's just out of the question unless it's a Marvel movie. So – that's why I think A24 is a good place for someone like a Tony Gilroy or just anyone who wants to make like that mid-tier thing mm-hmm. at, at low to mid-budget because that's the only company that seems to get to make these in, at a high clip these days. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. Like we're kind of missing out on more mid-tier stuff because um, that's, I would say, when like growing up, if you grew up in like the 90s and the early 2000s, there were a ton of movies in that, in that band and um, probably some of the better movies that have stood the test of time, even though like the big stuff obviously is still around, but yeah. Um, but that again, leads very nicely on to the last question. So um, Katie, what makes an A24 movie to you? I was, so I don't know if I can articulate this in as great of a way as all of you can, but I wrote my two key things are tragedy and quirk. And mm-hmm. it's like sort of a bit of a, mishmash of tragedy and quirk that I find to be like the trend in A24 movies. Um, And then obviously I find like, I don't know, I find them very colorful too. um, And like visually pleasing for the most part. Um, But yeah, that's my like not so sophisticated way of articulating that. (laughs) But I think that that's like absolutely like head on nail right there. Like they are quirky. They are very, very tragic usually. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And aesthetically, I, I always think it's the aesthetic of A24 that really stands out amongst mm-hmm. everything else because they, they do take a lot of time or the filmmakers that they curate into their 
productions or into their distribution, um, they tend to be very uh, aesthetically pleasing films and filmmakers. So, mm-hmm. uh, Mark, how about you? I'm going to use a different adge- ad- adjective. There's a word uh, for a tragedy, which I would just say dread in general, mm-hmm. just general dread. Like you just feel pain throughout these films, um, whether it's through the characters of the story that they're telling. So again, it's pretty similar to Katie there, but that's just the word I would use. And then similar to what she's saying too, like the well-made thing, I think just in general, they let the uh, artist work. They let them do their thing. There's not, it doesn't feel like they're like, there's producer notes telling them to do this, that, and the other thing. Like the movies are weird and they're allowed to be weird, which I, I really respect. Like, it just feels like, that, you know, someone comes with a good idea, A24 is like, okay, let's go make it. It's not like, uh, oh, you know, like maybe having a, you know, a kid that's a lamb is a kind of a weird idea. You know, like it's they just <laughs> kind of let them do their thing. And I really respect that. So, yeah, dread and just, uh, I don't know what the word would be, but just like a general, <coughs> excuse me, general, like allowing the artist to do their thing. Just uh, creativity. I think the the constant example that keeps coming up in on your last point is Robert Eggers because he was mm-hmm. given, you know, The Witch and like The Lighthouse. They're such weird movies. They're really, really <laughs> weird. I love them, but they're weird. Like there's no denying they're odd. Um, and then he obviously got to take a bigger budget, go somewhere else and, and make, you know, The Northman, which is this big Viking epic, which is still weird. Um, but, you know, he's been very public about saying how he you know he didn't like all the interference that he was getting but then of course you're going to get if you're going to get that much money that you are going to be held accountable for for what you do there so there's a bit of give and take but he's he's constantly been the perfect example of why a24 is such a great house for directors who like doing weird things because like you said they're just allowed to do what they want and there's nothing too weird for a24 i think yeah and i think that there is something to people saying, hey, you know, maybe that's a bit much. Because, you know, like, I feel like even with Jordan Peele's Nope, there's a point, I think, in someone's career when maybe they've built up so much cachet, people are almost afraid to be like, hey, you know, maybe don't do that. Or maybe change this. Or maybe <laughs> tighten this up a little bit. Like, it feels like directors, as they get a little bit longer in their career, their their movies tend to get a bit longer, literally, quite literally longer. <laughs> And uh, so it's not bad when there's producer notes or like there's there's feedback. But, uh, you know, like a lot of A24 films feel like a like a second or third movie into someone's career. And that's kind of like for bands, music is an example. Those are usually the best records, right? People have kind mm-hmm. of fine tuned their their style a little bit. They've gotten all the weird stuff like I know we're talking about we like the weird, but they've gotten all the like experimental stuff out of the way. And they've kind of fine tuned their vision, let's say. So yeah, fine tuned their weirdness. Yeah, they they <laughs> figured out what weird works for them the best. Because <laughs> there's a lot of weird out there. Yeah, yeah there is. There's a lot. There's, there really is a lot. I think you know the difference with interference. I think what from bigger studios is their interference is coming from not necessarily a point of artistry or or um, craft. It's more of like commercialization and thinking like, oh well, we can't do that because you know, budget restraints or, you know, audience, general audiences aren't going to like this or something like that. And that is a bit, uh, you know, a different thing than saying, here's some constructive feedback of how we think we can make this better. Um, And yeah, and I, I, it's, it's interesting. I'm very, like, we've talked about this endlessly on this podcast, but like, I'm very curious to see how um, Robert Eggers does in his next one, because that should be another weird movie than Osferatu. So that, that will be 
a good time. Um, all right. Well, you guys gave uh, really great answers. And um, even though, Katie, you said that you didn't think it was as sophisticated, but I, I think that... like No, that's not what she meant. She just meant because I'm a big Ryan Johnson fan. That oh. <laughs> that's what she's referring to. It's like, yeah, of course you'd pick Ryan Johnson. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but I think you guys chose some really great picks and, and gave some really nice insights. So thank you for that. Um, all right, so we're going to dive into our chat about laggies now. Want to stay for dinner? Is it make your own pizza night? Sure, great idea. Honey, I don't want to see you throw away your education. You have an advanced degree. I've waited to do this for so long. No, no, whoa, get up, get up. Just a second. I need to lay low for a week. My dad learned some lame Dorsey mixer, so he'll be late. <laughs> Dad, you're supposed to knock. Wow, high school students are looking rougher and rougher these days. Who are you? It's kind of hard to explain. Hey, did you hear the one about the grown woman who started hanging out with a bunch of pubescent kids? No, what? No, I'd never heard of it before either. Um, But before we do, here's your usual spoiler warning for anyone who is for some reason watching this, or listening to this rather, and hasn't seen Laggies and doesn't want the movie spoiled for them. Uh, You can pause it. Go watch the movie. It's on Prime Video in Canada, and you can come on back and join us for the conversation. So Laggies is a coming-of-age movie starring Kira Knightley in a non-Victorian-era role for her. It also has Chloe Grace Moretz and Sam Rock- Rockwell. Uh, the film follows Megan, who's played by Kira Knightley, as an aimless 28-year-old unsure of how to tackle adulthood. At her best friend's wedding, um, which is Allison, played by a very funny Ellie Kemper, but not that funny in this movie, um, intentionally so, uh, her boyfriend proposes to her at the wedding and at the same time, not at the same time, but in the same wedding, she also sees her father cheat on her mother. So a lot went on in that one single wedding. She runs out on the wedding and meets a high school student, Annika, who is played by Chloe Grace Moretz and her friends outside of a grocery store. They ask her to buy um, some alcohol. They ask her to buy some alcohol for them, which she does. And very quickly, a friendship blossoms between Annika and Megan. Megan decides that she needs to take uh, a week. She wants to give herself a week um, to get her head straight about the proposal, about what she wants to do with her life. And so she lies to her boyfriend, um, and she lies to her friends, and basically shacks up with Annika and lives at her house with Annika and her father, who is a divorce lawyer played by Sam Rockwell. There's a lot of gaps in there that I just threw in there, but we'll get into all that later. Uh, Laggies premiered at Sundance in 2014 and followed the film circuit festival, film festival circuit, which included a stop off at TIFF that year. And then A24 actually acquired the movie um, for a reported $2 million at Sundance, along with Obvious Child, which Dakota and Stephanie Pryor both um, discussed in another episode, in episode 205. So Laggies opened in American theaters on October 24th, 2014, and it brought in a total box office of just over $2.3 million worldwide. Um, I don't really know the numbers on their budget, but 2.3 million, I think is maybe a bit low, but at the same time for a coming of age slash rom-com type movie, I don't think it's that bad. Uh, so why don't we start off really easy and just say, how did we feel about this film? And since Dakota, you haven't really said very much all episode, uh, let's start with you. How'd you find this? Uh, how'd you find this movie? I, uh, I quite liked it. I, I remember when it came out and, uh, and I didn't watch it at the time. So this was my first time watching it. 
and I think now after the unfortunate passing of Lynn Shelton, as you mentioned off the top of the show, where uh, she sadly uh, died in 2020 due to a very sudden uh, illness that she came down with, I think people are, are it's her work is sort of ripe for reevaluating because she was so instrumental in what was known as the mumblecore movement. Uh, and that was these sort of low budget, not quite coming of age, but uh, adults who are trying to figure their lives out. Sometimes funny, often pretty serious, uh, but usually having happy endings sort of thing. Uh, I'm more familiar with her TV work than her actual film work. So I've seen uh, like all of her episodes of, of Glow and I watched Love and stuff like that. So I've seen some of her stuff. So watching this, I could definitely see her sensibilities that I, I've come to appreciate since then. And uh, and I thought it was quite good. You know, Keira Knightley, I think, sort of lives in this wor- weird realm where she's often in some pretty high budget stuff, very popular stuff. And I don't always think she's the best suited. You know, she always does the sort of period piece, which I'm, you, you referenced. I'm sure that's going to come up a few times. And yet she sort of occupies this weird space where she sometimes is really good, sometimes seems like she's a bit miscast. And, and I wasn't really sure what to expect, but I thought she actually did a really great job with this performance as a sort of uh, arrested development adult trying to figure out where she is in life and what she wants and whether she wants to move forward in order to move forward, she needs to move backwards and all this sort of stuff. But uh, I actually thought it it had quite a bit of heart. And despite the fact that you were describing the plot, there's a lot of plot machinations to this movie that you're just like, okay, this seems like a lot. (laughs) It all logically sort of works out. Nothing seems like, hey, if I was dealing with this situation, I wouldn't act like that. Like it seemed very logical in the way that uh, her character was dealing with problems. And I really appreciate that. And it, it also uh, didn't throw something in the viewer's face and then be like, all right, and you know what? We're never going to come back to this again. Basically everything that they threw in her face plot wise, they did end up actually resolving. And I really appreciated that about the movie. It's good. Um, Katie, what'd you think about the movie? I think Dakota just articulated it so perfectly. <laughs> um, but I think overall it was an enjoyable watch for me. Like I really liked it. I think there was a couple parts throughout the movie that I was kind of like, oh, that happened? Like I didn't realize we were like there. Like for example, it only occurred to me that that um, Megan's character had like – was purposely taking a week off when she was already there like I thought she was I genuinely thought she was on her way to a seminar for like (laughs) (laughs) I didn't I didn't clue into that for a while there was like a couple things that I just didn't clue into uh but overall like it was a fun watch and I really liked it uh yeah I don't really have much more to say about that other than just like the little nuances throughout the movie Mark how about you well, again, Dakota elegantly put a nice intro there, but I will say... Uh, I'm sorry, you. everyone. Oh, it's okay. should have put you last. Like, we should have yeah. put everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like an essay. Sometimes you put your first argument first, right? Okay. But uh, <laughs> Lynn Shelton, obviously, rest in peace. Um, my my first introduction to her was actually Hump Day. Um, so I've been in I've been mumblecore for a while, mm-hmm. um, I would say. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Do we even use that term anymore? I know, I know the, the people who make mumblecore films actually hated it. Um, we referenced it a lot in 2015 and 2016 in our yeah. household. Yeah. But I remember a lot of the directors were like, okay, well, not everyone actually mumbles. But anyway, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, Hump Day, uh, Your Sister's Sister, 
um, touchy feely. And then of course laggies. And I think I don't know if I've really watched her movies after that just kind of fell off or just didn't capture them on a streaming service. I know she did one with Mark Marin, which is obviously extra sad given their relationship. And I personally remember, uh, I listened to Mark Marin's podcast when he brought Lynn Shelton on. And, uh, it was like this like moment where you're like, man, these guys really get along. They are hidden enough. And then you know, <laughs> lo and behold, a few years later they get together. So that was very sweet, obviously enough recipes to her. But, um, yeah, the movie, uh, I, I enjoyed it just like most of those, you know, quote unquote mumble Corey sort of films. Like there's like generally just like a, it, it feels like you're watching real life adults adulting. Uh, you know, nothing is as simple as growing, growing up is not as simple as just growing up. Like there's, everyone takes their own journey. So I did it like that. Kira Knightley, I thought was, was, was cast well. I'm not really into period pieces that she's typically uh, been in before. So I can't really comment on the miscasting stuff. But I'm just not into those movies. In general. You didn't like Pirates of the Caribbean, Mark? No. What? <laughs> not and that's Pride and Prejudice. And I don't know. Like, this stuff like that doesn't, doesn't draw me in. But uh, I did think she was good. Uh, accent was hidden. Uh, Sam Rockwell, huge fan of him as well. So, you know, if we're talking about regardless of the movie, if I'm choosing, I forget his name. I know his name's Mark as well, but, or Sam Rockwell, always going Sam Rockwell, but the story I thought was nice. Uh, and again, like I th- it feels like you're watching real people make real people decisions that oh, oh, don't always make sense. But, um, as long as it's sold, sold well and you believe the characters are making decisions good for them, it works. And I think the movie successfully did that. That's what I meant to say. um i think dakota you you touched on something really interesting of of you know the plot having so many different things like it does sound like a lot um when you're like when i was trying to write out like what's the plot summary here it there's so many different aspects that you can talk about and i and i glossed over quite a few but yeah it is impressive that in the movie it never feels that overwhelming in when you're watching it the movie actually feels kind of simple in a sense like it doesn't feel like there's too much going on it doesn't feel like there's a lot of strings that are being pulled that need to get tied together it all just logically flows through from beginning to end and i think that that's a pretty tremendous feat for a movie like this that when you take a step back you realize that there are a ton of different things happening and quite a number of characters as well even though it it is focused obviously on megan and annika um and to a lesser extent craig but you know, you've got her high school buddies and, and there's different plots and subplots going on. But um, to me, one of the things that stood out was the organization of the movie. Just it felt really clear cut and very, um, yeah, just it flowed very nicely. Like it the it, it was really nice. And I think I, I fall in the same thing with, with you guys. I think it's a nice movie. Um, I hadn't seen it before. I actually hadn't even heard of this movie before. Um, and yeah, I thought it was it was a nice movie. Like I Kira Knightley seeing her in something that's a little bit smaller and um contemporary is she does do it. Like I think that we always say she never does it, but she does. Um but mm-hmm. it's just it is odd cuz um I think she's just m- much more well known obviously for her bigger films. But actually Mark, one thing I wanted to talk about was um I want to see if anybody here was a huge fan of Lynn Shelton's previous work and you mentioned Hump Day, sister, sister, your sister's sister, touchy feely, and um, I actually haven't watched those movies, but I, I gathered that one of the 
aspects of those films is there's a lot of improvisation going on, or at least, uh, you know, to, to an extent there's, there's the dialogue is improvised. Um, but in Laggies, this is her first movie that she directed that wasn't actually written by her. It was written by Andrea Siegel. And so some, you know, I was looking at a, a few reviews from back in 2014 and a lot of people commented that this was her first movie that it didn't feel, have that improvised feel. It didn't, um, it felt more structured in that sense. And did did you get that feel in, in comparing Laggies to her previous work? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that while watching it. You can, it felt, I was thinking, it was in the back of my head the entire time. Like, does this feel like this was an improvised conversation? And no, it felt a lot more scripted. And I think um, just like you guys are mentioning, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff going on. You might want to make sure you got a good um, script, solid script you're shooting with. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of her other movies were a bit more lower concept, like hump day is just like two guys who decide, Hey, what if we just two best friends just decide to have sex? And like a lot of the movie is just them in their <laughs> hotel room deciding should they do it or not? Your sister's sister is just like a guy whose brother dies and his, uh, his brother's former ex-girlfriend, his good friend uh, says, go to my cottage and just relax. And he shows up there and, and uh, same girl from uh, Touchy Feeling, it's Rosemary DeWitt is there and hijinks ensue a little bit. But again, simple, like two sets. That's it. And Touchy Feely was a bit more closer to Laggies. But again, it feels a bit more naturalistic and same actors who are just good at doing that sort of improvisational sort of style. And that's kind of where the mumble core comes from is a lot of people say that, like, you know, people naturally mumble. So like humans aren't super well scripted right so when we speak we're a bit more um off the cuff and we we make mistakes we say words incorrectly and stuff like that so yeah touchy-feely did not give me that vibe but it's not like that was a detriment to the film um at all i think the style of oh do you mean laggies oh laggies sorry laggies yeah laggies i didn't feel like it hurt it because it still has that sort of same style of lynn shelton's other films which it does feel like you're watching real humans um you know, talking to each other and, and reacting and being like real humans. Which is such a difficult thing to achieve in films, isn't it? Just like that they're actually just naturally hanging out, hanging about. And the fact that it's scripted is, um, or more tightly scripted, obviously, than her previous movies, That's that definitely says something to probably Andrea Siegel's work too, as well, like just her writing. Um, Dakota, were you familiar with um, Shelton's other films? No, no, I haven't seen any of her previous ones. I obviously know about them, but mm-hmm. uh, I hadn't seen any of them. Just, just her TV, her later TV work, which she seemed to do mostly after Laggies, right? And um, Katie, how about you? I, I feel like no, I wasn't familiar no. with them either. <laughs> yeah, same, same. Yeah, well, it's a good thing you're here, Mark. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I, I found that interesting to see like how that would compare to her older movies, because you know, improvised to scripted is it is quite a leap and so it's it's good to hear that it's not it didn't detri- it wasn't detrimental in any way do you do you think that not to say it improved it but like do you think that that was a side of lynn shelton's directing that maybe she was stronger at like is she stronger at one or the other or are they just different i think um the the other films especially your sister sister and hump day they had mark duplass on mm-hmm. set he was an actor and for my um um, interpretation or what I've heard is that he assisted a lot with that process. So like she, you know, I mean, he didn't like obviously write the scripts or the, the storyboard for those movies, but 
I think, um, you know, it helped her develop sort of like how to shoot humans being humans. So I don't think, um, you know, I don't, I don't think, uh, I maybe lost the question here, but I don't, I don't think it felt different per se. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I think it felt very similar, um, in vibe and, and just, again, like I, I felt like this movie was scripted enough that it felt naturalistic. I don't know if I answered your question. No, you did. Yeah, you did. It's just, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, it's always interesting. I, th- I love comparing directors, like their different film work and things like that, which is why when we talked about Alex Garland at the top, like I just, I love seeing progression and differences in, in, um, in a director's work and in, in their body of work rather. Um, Cause yeah, it's, it's always a bit fascinating. Um, so Mark, you mentioned you're not a big period film fan. Uh, <laughs> however, Dakota loves them. He's such a huge fan of them. He's such a big fan. <laughs> he just can't get enough of them. Um, so Dakota, Kira Knightley, it's it's always it's like almost a boring conversation now at this point, but she is very, very well known for doing a very particular type of work. And also I find her personally, she just looks very British to me. She has a very, very British way of <laughs> yes. her face, her sensibility, everything about her is so completely British. So when she plays American, it throws me a little bit, even though she's perfectly fine at it, but like it just takes me a second to like 20 minutes to get into to okay she's american now Karen it Knightley. threw me too it was like an uncanny yeah. valley kind of thing yes yes it's so odd but um dakota how how did kira work for you in gen i mean in this movie but generally speaking when she does do contemporary roles and um american roles as well and also she's kind of a mess in this movie which we don't typically associate with kira knightley like kira knightley's a she's a proper english lady like she's not she's not a mess hmm <laughs> Yeah, she usually plays very put-together characters, strong will, knows what she wants, goes after it quite literally, fights for things. Um, I, yeah, I, I thought she, she worked for me. I'm. She does a lot of um, romantic dramas and stuff like that, which isn't my usual go-to choice in movies, so I have a lot of blind spots for her. Like, I've never seen Pride and Prejudice. I've never seen Love Actually. A huge blind spot for me is Atonement, which I know I need to get to. So, I I do have some pretty significant Kira Knightley blind spots. That said, I, I I find... Usually when I'm watching her movies, other than her, her role in the Pirates of the Caribbean series, she's more uh, bland than bad. Uh, I wouldn't call her a bad actor in age, by any stretch of the imagination, but just sort of just like is there, uh, says a lot. Like it, I, I think of something like The Imitation Game, which, you know, is a movie that has a lot of flaws in my opinion. Um, but she's she's not very exciting in a lot of her movies. But this, I thought she she was quite good. And, and honestly, I found myself more often than not – uh, really, like, I know you're supposed to root for your lead characters, but I feel like the way this movie is structured is this is a woman who is running away from responsibility and reverting back to being a child. And that's how she's coping with not being able to handle the stresses and pressures of adult life until she's finally able to get a grip of her life. When in reality, the, the way that this movie plays out is – her friends are pretty terrible. Her husband is is oh, sorry. Her fiance, her partner is is pretty wishy washy and and not all there. Her parents are babying her and and not really being as supportive as they should be. 
And so I really understood where she was coming from. And I, and I sort of thought that Kira Knightley was able to sort of ground all this chaos being thrown at her. And it really is. You, you, you talked about it. And like, I feel like we're, we're, we're glossing over so much of the stuff. Like her supposedly best friend is incredibly rude and pushy. And her other friends uh, don't find her funny and are kind of blocking her out of their friend group. Um her dad uh, is just sort of babying her and stringing her along where her mom's just being a sort of a typical nag character and all this sort of stuff is just like being thrown at her. And I'm like, I'd run away too. Like <laughs> the stuff that she's dealing with, it makes sense. Like I wouldn't want to deal with all that stuff either. And, and then she like, you know, decompresses, takes the time she needs to realizes what she wants in life and sort of just like goes for it. So if anything, she's the most adult character in this entire movie. And I think she plays it really well. Very interesting perspective. Um, yeah, I want to get more into like the actual movie bits, but before we do it, Katie, do you have any thoughts on Kira Knightley in this movie? You said the, I think you and I are, are on the same level here about like an uncanny valley situation with her. Yeah, we're pretty much on the same page where it just threw me off for the first mm-hmm. bit. Like I watched the trailer before we watched the actual movie and I think I was thrown off by the trailer the most. I don't know. It's just, I expected that proper English lady accent yeah. to come out of her. But then when we watched the movie, I felt a lot more comfortable with it. And I thought she did a really great job. Like I totally resonate with everything Dakota's saying about um, how she grounded the character. Like I thought she was just really, really great at it. Um, and I like, I think she did a great job at making the character both likable and like unlikable in a way like almost like she's your flaky friend that you just <laughs> love so much but they just keep bailing on all your plans you're like <laughs> like her again kind of thing so i i think she did a really great job that sounds super specific katie <laughs> like, i'm just gonna put that in there. i have to say i forgot she was in atonement too only thing i remember about atonement yeah. was that one take that is really cool when they arrive on the beaches of normandy I yes. forgot she was in that movie. Whoa. Okay. Um, yeah. She's also in a in, in a Star Wars movie, Mark, too. Yes, yeah, she plays she the, 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 the decoy. Twin or, yeah, the decoy. The decoy. Yeah. <laughs> decoy. Yeah. decoy number one. She kind of looks like Natalie Portman, you know, a little bit. Um, I always find it funny. I, I'm actually a big Care Knightley fan. I do really, really like her. And um, so I've seen like a number of her interviews. And for as much as all the work that she's done, she says like the one thing that people still come up to her talk about is star wars is that you know nothing role for her because she was very young at the time and it was just some like very cool opportunity for her but she like doesn't really do anything no but yet it's the one that she will constantly always get asked about um and fans will always come up to her and talk to her about so I that's because they're star wars fans they just won't let anything go well, wasn't it? Uh, it was um, Natalie Portman was making Thor: Love of Thunder, and Taika Waititi is working on a Star Wars film. And I don't know if he would, Taika Waititi, Taika Waititi is a bit of a joker, right? But he was like, mm-hmm. "Hey, Kira, or not Kira? Sorry, hey Natalie. Uh, you, you know, I'm making a Star Wars film. You, you ever thought about being in a Star Wars film?" He's <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> "I was in three of them." <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so I don't know. Those two should do another movie together, like properly, like just because yes. I think they they would actually be really great together. Um, I think mm-hmm. I'm becoming a Natalie Portman fan, like a lot over time. Yeah, let's make this the Natalie Portman podcast. Yeah, right now. yeah I I don't. I'm very <laughs> lukewarm to Natalie Portman. I think I definitely really? care a little bit, but I like her. Like yeah. I think she's very talented. She's very good, but she's never one that I'm like, oh, Natalie Portman's in a new movie. I gotta go check that out. Like it's, I've never really had that with her. Um, 
yeah, she's fine. Like she's obviously very good. Like she's very, very good at what she does. Uh, I don't know why she just never really clicked with me, but um, that, that's something that makes me, I was watching this movie and I was like, how old is she supposed to be in this film? Cause Natalie yeah. Portman definitely feels like someone who's like maybe thirties to forties years old. Yeah. And then she's like, Keira Knightley's like, I'm, in my 20s i'm like is she lying or is this yeah true? i didn't know if she was lying either she seems like she's in her 30s but that doesn't even matter that much obviously it's a movie so it's okay <laughs> i while watching the movie looked up how old Kira knightley is and how old sam rockwell is i did do that check because i was just like how old is she supposed to be in this because it was it did feel off and then um they actually have a pretty big age gap between the two of them yeah um, oh for sure <laughs> yeah which i don't i don't I don't know if I really thought that they did. Like looking at them, yeah, she does look younger, but not as as younger as I thought she was. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, yeah, she was a teen in Phantom Menace. That was ninety nine, and Charlie's Angels was when probably ninety eight, ninety nine as well. Kira Knightley was, was in Charlie's Angels. She was in no, Charlie's Angels. Yeah, Rockwell. Oh, the same thought, Katie. You guys are getting <laughs> Wait, hold on. into my brain where it goes in many different directions. <laughs> But Sam Rock was like an adult in that film, so anyway. right. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have the Charlie's Angels reference just just sitting there ready to go. <laughs> who wasn't always thinking about Mick G movies? <laughs> <laughs> um, but returning to your point, Dakota, about you know the character of um, Megan and like her friends are really horrible to her. Her friends are are fairly terrible. And her parents, I find that it was a very funny dynamic. Like the dad is just very played by Jeff Garland, who I adore. And he's just like, it's fine. Like, whatever. Like, Hey, sweetie, how you doing? And her mom's like, you need to go do something with your life. Um, But it leads me to this idea of, you know, we've seen so many coming of age movies. uh, And especially under a 24 actually. And I think recently we've been getting a lot of coming of age films. Just, it's just like an, it feels like an onslaught of them. I know that this is, um, you know, eight years old now, but do you guys find that this movie adds something a bit different? And like, what does it add? I suppose to that genre of the coming of age, um, not trope, but the coming of age category of film. And does it add anything different for you guys? Does it, uh, or is it just kind of, all in the same and just maybe a little bit of a different take on it. But do you guys think it, is there anything added value add to this movie, to the genre? Um, We'll go with Mark. I would say that um, to the genre of coming age, I would say that it's kind of like what, what's good about it. And maybe this is a mumblecore thing too, but the, the idea that it's not all a neat package, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's not like Kira Knightley, was destined to be with Sam Rockwell and he's like a knight in shining armor. He's just some like divorce lawyer and stuff that she just seems to get along better with. And like, I think that, you know, that's real life. So coming of age, you know, often has to have some like real, um, you know, real turnaround where they, they, you know, they get what they want and they get what they need, but it's not like she necessarily gets what she wants or needs. She just makes a choice that's better for herself at that moment. Like who knows her and Sam Rockwell may not work out for even two months. But at the moment, that seems like a better choice. So I, I just think it's just a more, for coming in age films, it just feels like more of a, a natural sort of real life example of that, perhaps. Katie, how about you? Yeah, I have sort of the same idea where I guess like, I guess I think I consider coming of age films sort of films that 
reflect the journey of getting to a specific like point in your life, like a specific um, stereotypical point in your life, like getting through teenagehood, getting through like your early 20s, getting through like going up to marriage, like that kind of like specific stereotypical points in your life. And what I like about this movie is that it kind of bounces her experience off of those stereotypical points that Mm. her friends are showing and her family are showing. Um, And it kind of just allows her to just be a human and just do whatever the hell she wants. Like, it's funny that um, the, the idea of her becoming friends with Chloe Grace Moretz's character, like a teenager is really funny to me because it's sort of something that accidentally happened to me (laughs) earlier this year. Uh, I started a pottery class and there was one like 16 year old girl in this class who was like super, super anxious about being there and being the only kid there. So I befriended her because I felt bad for her. And she was just like the sweetest, funniest person. And she was just telling me about all of her like teenage life stuff that made me sort of think about my own teenage life stuff and how also she was a huge fan of my chemical romance and I was like oh my god like that's what everybody was a fan of when (laughs) I was in high school like it's just so funny like and it was such a hilarious kind of friendship to have at the time because I was just like it's just so funny just bouncing your 30 year old life off of like a 16 year old's perception of the world like I I totally related to that and I thought it was so odd for me at the time just like have this friend that I saw at pottery class every week but then when I saw this movie I was like oh it is weird like it is weird (laughs) and it happens (laughs) I guess and like it's just the way life is like and it doesn't make me like not an adult anymore like there's just weird shit that happens in your life and like mark and i are on a weird trajectory through stereotypical life too like we bought a house and got a dog before like getting married or anything and we don't really care we're just like being together like maybe we'll get married eventually but like we don't really worry about that because we just like our life so i just like that she's kind of i like the idea of floating through life and just taking things as they come and kind of making sporadic decisions. Cause I think that's also something that's like lacking in a lot of our lives now. Is that like, is that like, like we should move fast. Like we were saying like things are, things just move so fast in life now too. And I think there's a lot of room for us to kind of embrace the lag in our life a little bit and just enjoy what comes at us. And Katie's going to start going to house parties and piercing teenagers' ears. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's our next thing. Now, now that school's back in session, you're going to go find the high school parties. Yeah. Soon for taking the bail. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't take the bail. Don't take a, it. Maybe you've had a few drinks yourself. Yeah. I love that though. I think it's, you're right. Like there's a great message in this movie of just kind of, you know, adulthood doesn't need to be as complicated sometimes as we make it out seem and doesn't have to be as dramatic. It or can just structured. be it can just Yeah, be or structured. That's a good word for it. Yeah. Um, you know, we can just kind of or we should do more of just go about and do the things that make you happy and kind of take things as they come because if any like I'm someone who planned my life out very very strictly it never works out the way that you plan it. No. So, you know, why why kind of stress yourself out and why bother doing that? But um, Dakota, how about you? What, how'd you find this movie falls within the, the coming-of-age genre? I'm, I'm not usually a fan of the coming-of-age sort of style mm-hmm. of movie just because I find that they're, they're a little too trope-heavy as far as hitting 
all the same beats. But that said, uh, I, I I did really like this one, and and I think as I was sort of saying before, it has a bit of a unique take on it in the sense of everyone around her believes that she needs to grow up when in reality she kind of already is grown up. The difference is she's stuck in a situation that she doesn't want to be. So it's more about just untangling the mess around her. And and I think that's what works for this as far as it being a unique take, because yeah, she does still go on that, that traditional journey of finding herself and figuring out who she needs to be and It involves literally acting, hanging around with children to act like a child, to realize how she needs to act as an adult sort of thing. But it all all sort of plays out organically enough that it it makes sense. And in considering some of its contemporaries as far as uh, quality, I I think this is kind of a a higher quality version than than the usual coming-of-age movies we usually get. And there's enough humor in it. That it uh, that it really helps it along too. I think, like I, I would agree with you, Dakota. I think it feels more grown up almost, and I think it's because we're not in. I mean, it's very clever in the sense that usually coming of age movies are stuck in the like you're in grade twelve, about to go to college, or you're just you know graduating university and and yeah. going off into the world. But this is a twenty eight year old. This is someone who's all of that is done. Everything is set for her now. She's supposed to go off. Um, so it's in a bit of a different time period which is why um movies like like cha-cha real smooth which came out earlier this year it's like i think that's why those movies are they feel just that little bit different but you need the younger person in it so in cha-cha real smooth you have um uh what's his name cooper whatever his name is that character yeah his character is like the younger one and then in this one it's chloe grace moretz is is the um is the younger character in it. And you need that kind of contrast if you're going to do an older coming of age movie. But it's nice to see that you have coming of age that's not necessarily about early 20s or your late teens. Like coming of age can be something that happens, you know, well into your 30s or into your 20s. And, uh, you know, there, I mean, there's other movies like, um, well, what was that movie? Good Luck Leo Grand. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but like that is in a sense a type of coming of age where Emma Thompson's character is experiencing like sexual satisfaction and exploration for the first time in her life. And she is, you know, a 60 something um, widow at that point. And so I, I love that, you know, I don't mind the coming of age genre. I think sometimes it can get a bit muddled, but I do like that there's different takes on it now in different decades um, that kind of just pushes on the point that nobody's ever the finished article. Like we continue on in life and you keep growing, keep changing. Um, and I like that movies are kind of, uh, I, again, I know this is a bit of an older movie now, but I like that there's films out there that are kind of branching out in that sense. So it, yeah, Laggy's worked for me in that way that I just think it's nice to, to see a bit of variety in the, um, in that genre. I have one more thing to add too. Mm-hmm. If I can. I also, so Mark and I both grew up in the same hometown, which is just a suburb of Toronto, basically. Um, And what I kind of liked about this movie, too, is it's sort of a commentary of instead of growing up, you're sort of growing out. And she just kind of grows out of her group of friends and grows out of that whole like sphere that she's been in for so long. And Mark and I are very familiar with 
many of the people in our high school that, you know, have stayed in the same friend group for like years and years and years and still are. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with creating genuine friendships that will last forever. I don't blame anyone for that. But for me, that was like a totally different experience where like I left high school and I basically left that entire group of friends because I just realized that they weren't for me and they weren't doing, they weren't just supporting me in the ways that I wanted a friend to do. So I think like it's kind of nice to see a, a, a coming of age film that kind of reflects that because I think there is a big grieving process that you have to go through having grown up with the same group of people your, your whole childhood and then having to suddenly make new friends and be in a whole new part of your life alone. Um, and I kind of let it, it almost is like a movie that helped me grieve through that process a little bit, even though it's been a long time now, but it's nice to sort of reflect on, on how that can happen and how people do grow out of friendships and relationships and friend groups that they've had for a long time. I think it's a great point. And it comes back to something Dakota mentioned before about, you know, those groups of friends are not right for her. Like they're not very good people to her. And typically I think we see in coming of age movies where, you know, they're actually the the main character can be the bad friend. They're the ones who are shunning their, you know, that tends to happen a lot. Um, But you're absolutely right, Katie. Like there's, it happens in life. Like you just kind of outgrow your friend group or maybe not even outgrow them in that sense, but it's just, you just kind of, you're going in a different direction and shift. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think mm-hmm. very shifty, and um, <laughs> yeah, and it's nice. It's nice to see movies now that are are just being a bit more nuanced in those friendships and those relationships with people, and um, yeah, and I, I think in that sense, Laggies is it feels like a very simple movie on the the surface of it, but like as we've just done, like I think the more you dig into it, the more that there is a greater. Uh, I don't want to say a greater meaning. That sounds really tacky, but you know what I mean? Like there's, there's just a, there's more layers to the film, I think, than um, that initially meets the eye. Uh, but does anybody have anything else that they wanted to to add on before we move on to the game section? I, I was sort of talking, thinking in my mind about figuring out what, to, what would work as a double bill pairing. And, and I'm spoiling what my pick isn't basically <laughs> here. Uh, and I, I was kind of comparing this movie a bit to Bridesmaids a little bit because yes. there's a bit of a similar structure to it. Mm-hmm. But then I, I, I started thinking about it a bit deeper. And it's, it's more like it's the reverse because in Laggies, uh, Kira Knightley's character is leaving her friend group that she thought she likes and is moving on. Whereas in Bridesmaids, it's sort of the opposite where it's the Kristen Wiig character is being introduced to a new friend group and eventually grows to like and appreciate them. So it's sort of a a reverse story, but you can kind of look at the two of them and see how they, they tackle similar issues of adult friendship in a meaningful way and how it comes. And also Ellie Kemper's in both of them (laughs) much funnier in Bridesmaid than she is in this where Honestly, uh, I, w- I was ready to punch her character. I'm just like, oh my god, woman, you are the worst. <laughs> yep. Honestly, she had one redeeming quality, and that's when she was in the coffee shop, and she was like, I won't tell your fiancé that you haven't been away for a week. And I was like, man, I really wasn't expecting that from you at all, and bless you for doing that. Like, just let people have their privacy. Mm-hmm. 
even which even at that point it came was like yeah. a backhanded clown yeah. in a way because the first <laughs> yeah. half of the scene you're just like dreading like oh my god this confrontation is going to be the worst yeah. it's going to be awful about it and then she's like you know what I'm going to do you a favor and not expose you it's like yeah you don't need to do anything <laughs> yeah. and she's like live my life woman and she starts that too being like I should tell him like it's like like I should be telling him like this is the yeah. correct thing but I'm doing you a favor by not telling him so like this is this is it and I'm like even though I'm your girl. friend and threatening you. Yeah. And I, 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 yeah, and I like how Megan's like, it's it was the four of us. Like, you're supposed to be my friend, not his friend. Like, what mm-hmm. are you doing kind of thing? Uh, but yeah, I uh, Bridesmaids came up to me as well a lot watching this movie too. It came like, up for us yeah. too. Yeah. It's, it it's kind of like the, yeah, exactly what Dakota said. <laughs> it's like the anti-laggies. Um. Well, I hopefully that wasn't anyone's favorite <laughs> there, and I just I'm just scratching that, that off my list. <laughs> Mark, it's okay. You've got like a dozen more. Yeah, I, got, I got my honorable mentions. Don't worry. Um, well, you know what? This leads us really nicely on then to to game time, which is um, let's talk about what the what our double feature double feature picks or double billing picks, whatever you want to call it. Um, Dakota, you you said you were gonna you thought about that, but um, what did you end up going with? Sure, yeah, it's you know it's always weird seeing Kira Knightley in a non-period piece, as we've discussed uh, frequently on this show. You know, you just expect her to to wake up and her going out outfit is going to be a corset and a hoop. Uh, dress. That's basically what we all imagine Keira Knightley to look like every day. Uh, she's best known for stuff like the Pirates movies, Atonement, The Imitation Game, as we've discussed. So my double bill pairing is a, another modern set film of hers because we just don't think of it this way. And it's going to be uh, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, Ooh. which was another comedy romance movie where Keira Knightley and Steve Carell bond while they are traveling together as an asteroid is about to destroy Earth. So obviously that is a very different situation. But there's also a love triangle in that movie. And it's uh, there's quite a few adults that act like children. Interesting. I haven't seen that movie. Well, there you go. And uh, I and I think it's less bougie than my usual Pixar, <laughs> so I hope you respect me for that, Rachel. Yeah, it's not from like the 1950s or something like that. Um Hey, I could have <laughs> if I thought about this for longer. Uh, Katie, how about you? What was your what was your pick for the double feature? I just went with the first one that kind of popped into my head, um, and my double feature pick was Booksmart because mm, um, yeah. it's sort of it's a coming of age movie, but it kind of follows the teenage side of it a little bit more, but also teenagers who are sort of desperately seeking to be adults in some capacity and getting there in a very messy way. Uh, so yeah, that was, and it's a really funny movie. So yeah, that's my, that's my pick. And it also stars Caitlin. Exactly. I was going to say, who we didn't even <laughs> yeah. mention. Yeah, she was, she was funny. Who plays uh, Chloe Grace, Grace Moretz's uh, best friend in this movie. Yes. Who has seemingly been playing a teenager for like 15 years, like a high school student. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, odd, eh? Weird. She was in uh, Ticket to Paradise, which I just mm-hmm. watched last week. And she plays like a grown up who's about to get married. Well, oh, a young, oh a young goodness, getting really? married, though. Like she's young. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, she plays, wow. uh, it's Julia Roberts and George Clooney's daughter. Imagine being their daughter. Interesting. I know. What a dynamic duo. <laughs> what a set of parents to have. Uh, Mark, what was yeah. your pick? Well, uh, 
Book smart's a good one. I, I, I like the idea of just like, because I think the a plot line in that is they, they're splitting apart post high school too. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like the, you know, again, like things don't stay the same forever. My choice was, since you guys especially haven't seen any of her other films, but I was going to say Your Sister, Sister. Like I said, that follow-up album, always the best. Um, <laughs> this is her second film. At least I think it's her second film, but it's, her, it's the second one I can think of. <laughs> and um, I, I think that what it is is similar to this, where you have kind of a conventional tale where things are messy and they happen more natural and the resolve is is a, is a resolve that you think makes sense, where it's just like humans acting like humans in the end. And you got Mark Duplass back when he was doing his acting thing. And he's still acting, obviously, but he was doing a lot more then. Yeah, Emily Blunt, Rosemary Duet, and it's just like the three of them who are all amazing actors uh, in their own rights, just kind of going against each other and um, dealing with a kind of dramatic situation and awkward scenario very awkward um yeah i would just recommend you guys give that one a gander too i think it also takes place in seattle i don't know if all our films are in seattle but maybe was this movie in seattle i did see it was yeah Yeah, so i think she might be uh maybe she's a native seattle person but uh yeah um that would be my recommendation your sister sister Nice. I, I really need to look at some of her other films. Like I did enjoy Laggy, so I'm curious. Like Hump Day sounds like a really interesting when you just Yeah, read Hump Day's I go, that's interesting. It's <laughs> a very interesting yeah. plot. And yeah, Duplass again. And yeah, I would even throw that one on there if you can, just because it's a uh, that's really where she exploded, I think. In Mark the with the triple bill classic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have another one. <laughs> Um, the one that I went with was I was trying to find a coming of age tale to go with it, but on the male side of things, like on like a male side. So I actually thought about like forty year old virgin was something that Ooh. came to mind. Um, because I thought it kind of coming of age, and he's older, obviously, and um, very 40. messy. Yeah, very very messy. Very messy. <laughs> um, but the one that I ended up going with, and and. A kind of in a sense of not they don't have the same tone at all but they for me kind of live in a, a similar plane is hook um oh. and it's just i have like i've very i think most people do if you saw it when you were young you either most people i think have a, a quite like a, a nice affection towards that movie um but it was just this idea of you know a man or a boy you know you just don't want to grow up this idea of you know you being a kid you think it's better you think you want to stay a kid forever and and that's a nicer life but um yeah eventually i think we all come to the realization that adulthood's not terrible it's just like messy i think is the best word that um katie's been saying yeah Um, so yeah my my pick is hook um just because i think it's it's a nice little another side of the probably a very similar coin for me um all right so let's move to the would you rather i'm gonna start with katie Okay, I feel like mine is a bit, like, just obvious, but it's the only thing I can think of. These are tough. Dakota and I struggle with these quite a bit, and we end up sometimes, yeah. I think mine's fairly obvious, too, so don't worry. Mine is, like, how awkward can we get? So, um, would you rather be proposed to at your friend's wedding or break up, have to break up with somebody at an airport? Ooh. Oh. (laughs) 
<laughs> also, in my notes, watching this movie, I only had two. Uh, one was, does anyone really need an advanced degree anymore? And then the other one was, in all caps, <laughs> don't propose at people's weddings. <laughs> so you rather be broken up at the airport, is what you're saying? Uh, no, it's not being broken up with have to break up with somebody. Someone at the airport. You're the um, one doing the breaking up, and you're the one being proposed to. Oh. I think I would choose... Oh, they're both mortifying, aren't they? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think well, maybe the airport because I I I'm on board with you, Katie. I think proposing at somebody else's wedding is even if the other person like if the the people getting married agree to it. I just find it to be such an odd thing to do. Um, yeah, I guess the airport, and then you could just hop on a flight and get out of there and leave the country. Um, <laughs> Maybe I think that that might be the better. That's true. It's like, yeah, that that might be the better solution. But they're both terrible. They're just terrible <laughs> options. Uh, Dakota, what what would you rather for for Katie's question? That was a ridiculously tough question, Katie. And it's funny because when I was trying to come up with my idea, I didn't even think of that as an option, which I guess is a little weird. Um, but. Wow, that is that that's that's really tough. And I'm going to I'm going to reveal a little story here and I don't know, I'm going to try to avoid some details, but uh I was recently at a friend's wedding and <laughs> and it was a very low-key casual wedding um where the reception was just back at their house and and all that sort of stuff, but um the bride's cousin uh got engaged that night. No. It wasn't, wasn't uh, in front of everyone, get down on your knee, sort of big show. I, I heard it afterwards from, from my wife. She said, oh, yeah, so-and-so apparently uh, we're talking about it. Uh, and then uh, we uh, apparently the next day she was wearing a ring. Uh, okay, so it wasn't wow. in front of everybody. No. It was just low-key afterwards. up in the moment. That yeah. actually happened at my birthday party. Our oh. friends got engaged at one of my birthday parties. <laughs> no, it was after. It was, it was after. after, though. No. It wasn't at the party. It was the it was Portuguese after. butter tarts that inspired yeah. them to oh. get married. We all know the story. I get <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. I actually uh, heard. <laughs> <laughs> so that said, I, I, think, I think despite the fact that they're both ridiculously awkward situations to be put in, I would rather be put in the happier option rather than the sadder option. So if I had to choose, it would be to, it would be to be proposed at a friend's wedding. Okay. Yes. Okay. How, how do I say this? To be asked to marry someone? To be, no, you're going to, to be the, to. That was you're yes, proposed you. to. Yes. Can't English right now. Uh, yes. Thank <laughs> you. That, that, is, that would be the one because I, I don't want to be like, Hey, I'm going to Mexico on vacation, by the way, I'm breaking up with you. And now I have to have this really awkward uh, plane ride by myself and, you know, go to the couple's massage by myself. And that's basically, <laughs> isn't that the plot for I love you, man? That I'm yes. now describing. I love you assumed that you had couple massages booked already. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Book massage, I, last minute. So possible. instead of um, two people getting a one-hour massage, can I just get two hours back-to-back? I'll, I'll, I'll do it all. <laughs> or two people giving you a massage at the same time. Hey. Ooh, ooh. Oh, yes. Yes. Genius. Plot twist. <laughs> getting raunchy up in here. Um <laughs> Mark, what about you? Which one would you rather uh, getting proposed to at a wedding or having to break somebody up at or having to break up with somebody at the airport? Rip them shreds. Uh, I'm going with Dakota on this one. I think 
I think I would choose the breakups are messy. I would choose the happier option. Like, and Katie didn't set it up to be messy enough at the wedding. You could be have a low key proposal, and no one would know. Just like you described, Dakota. And it's the mm-hmm. next day. Oh, they got proposed. I'm thinking of it straight up, like like it was portrayed yeah. in Leggies. He was gonna get on one knee in the middle of the dance floor. Was he though? Who yeah, knows? he was about yeah. to. And then he did. He did get on one knee. He did, and okay. then she pulls him up. Yeah. Maybe my eyes were averted at the moment, but okay. <laughs> um, yeah, still the happy moment. I think most people, despite the fact of having a feeling towards proposals at weddings, New Year's, all that kind of stuff, uh, they're still happy for you. So I think uh, that is better than feeling like crap because you broke someone's heart. <laughs> Katie, what would you pick? Yeah, I I was thinking about choosing the airport scenario at first, but now after listening to everyone else, I'm like, I think I would choose the wedding. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> also one of my like big anxieties is around airlines and trips and like making sure that they are smooth. So I don't know if I would want to ruin my own vacation. Would you like to dump someone while wearing? It actually depends though who I'm dumping though. Right. If, if this is a long time coming, this person is a total piece of trash, then it might be really, really like good for me to d- dump that person at the airport and go on vacation. But would you want obviously to not someone? you, Mark? No, yeah. it's not Mark. Could never be Mark. Would you want to dump someone wearing a a, 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 a white dress no, on no, your no. way to go alone? I was just even worse, like a surgical mask, because that's what flying is like now. You're wearing like your, your N95 or whatever, you know. <laughs> Like you don't even get to see their face. You're soaking ma- wet mask <laughs> from the tears. Just twitching because your mouth is really like. <laughs> that might make it funny. better because you can't see their expression really. So you're just like, it's fine. They're they're fine. Their their reaction is absolutely yeah. fine. It's just like tears rolling. Yes, <laughs> those are happy tears. They're smiling. Um, Mark, what's your would you rather question? Uh, okay, so mine was, would you rather drink, and I'm making some assumptions, maybe this was a detail I missed, but watered down white wine <laughs> or orange juice mixed with red wine? Oh. oh. Easily. I, know, I didn't want to say orange juice mixed with white wine, because that's actually like kind of a thing. So that's why I said orange well, juice Well, orange juice wine. mixed with red wine is also a thing. That's just sangria, Mark. I was going to yeah. say, it's like a janky sangria. Not <laughs> a good sangria. <laughs> it's just the supermarket sangria. Yeah. It's funny. I was thinking of this question, too. And I was thinking the watered down uh, white wine or his hangover hair of the dog here, which just looked like a giant glass of gin with a splash of soda water and some lemon. Which and when hot you're, sauce. And, and hot, hot sauce, sauce. yeah, yeah. Uh, which, uh, frankly, just like made me gag thinking about, and this is someone that's a gin lover. Um, <laughs> so I will gladly take the the watered-down white wine uh, over <sighs> the... Actually, you know, the sangria, the sangria sounds delicious. So, you know, I'm, sorry, Mark, I'm, I'm taking I, the sangria. I have to say, I, I so I'm a bit of a, a sangria snob. <laughs> I, make, I make it the proper way. And uh, I would, I'm, I'm not down with their sangria. They didn't let it sit in the fridge for 12, 12 to 24 hours. There's not, you know, this is, triple sack. This is like... Uh, a university student sangria when they're yes. going to like mm-hmm. a frat party being like, I got my red wine. I got my box of red wine. I got my Tropicana OJ. We drinking sangria tonight. Mark is deeply offended. We're even calling it sangria. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I, this conversation is over. <laughs> I, I called it a janky sangria, to be fair. So it's, it's not like a proper one. It's just like a really messed up one. Um, Katie, what would you pick between the two? Uh, definitely the janky sangria. But <laughs> if it was a sparkling watered down white wine ah. and I had a lemon wedge, then I could totally go for a wine There's spritzer. There's boxed wine. You saw mm. it. You know it's boxed wine. <laughs> that has a plot detail. Uh, yeah. But so either, you know what? Both sound nice to me. Both sound not horrible to me. <laughs> um, I'm going to go against the grain yet again. I'm going to say the watered down white wine just because... <laughs> One, I love water and I drink a lot of it. So it would just be water with like a kind of an odd flavor, I guess. Like it's just a little flavored bit flavored water. Yeah, that's basically what yeah, it would wine be. Flavored and water. Yeah. With exactly. a little buzz. Mm. And um a janky sangria sounds disgusting. So I'm not going near that. You know, <laughs> always the contrary. Stuff, right? you, you, oh, Mark's also assuming everyone's swigging out of the, oh, yeah. out of the yeah. juice container. Yeah. The, the the jankiest kind of version of that would be you have a tub like a you've got your your jug of um orange juice and then you have a bottle of wine in the other hand and you're just like mixing it in your mouth like that oh. would be that would be the jankiest of janky sangria that, that's what yeah. like restaurant sangria generally feels like it feels <laughs> like they just threw it together in the back and brought it out to you two seconds and you're like what is this it's terrible um mark what would you pick for your own or your own would you rather Oh, definitely the 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 janky sangria as we're calling it. <laughs> <laughs> a white wine After guy, all anyway, that, a watered down white wine just sounds even worse. Ugh. Yeah, they I both sound like, fairly vile. Dude, to be and fair. imagine <laughs> it's a riesling too. <clears throat> and you know what? I was gonna add in the gin thing originally, but I I think gin lemon soda would actually be pretty tasty. You know, that's a good when you're hungover. Just a, sure. a big old glass of gin and hot sauce. That's a thing, though, isn't it? Isn't that like uh, a thing when you're hungover is to drink more, dog. which is basically how alcoholism starts. But like, isn't that like a thing? Like, like that's yeah. like a not a Caesar. Cure. This is not a Caesar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't it's know where the hot alcohol. sauce plays. Where does the hot sauce play? I, I think it's supposed to just sauce? sort of like make you cry a little and then just. Is that what you, you know? just need a little cry in the morning? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cry out some of the booze from the night before. If the gin doesn't burn going down, the hot sauce will. Exactly. There you go. There you go. Um, Dakota, what's your would you rather? Okay. Uh, my would you rather is, uh, I, I guess, much more simpler than these. Would you rather party in a completely empty bar or party with people much <laughs> younger than you doing childish activities? <laughs> oh, I was really trying to think of one for the empty bar. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. Party in your pajamas in an empty bar? Oh my god, easily, easily a house party. Easily. (laughs) Easily. Mark, how about you? Well, I did notice that the house party had a pool. I'm a big fan of swimming. So I'm going to that house party and I'm just taking a swim. I'm just going to be in the pool the entire party. And again, I'm going... I'm going contrarian. I would take the empty bar because I'm slightly antisocial anyway. So I would just chill in a bar by myself. No one's bothering me. No, like, annoying bratty teenagers to deal with. But you have to go in your pajama pants. That's the only It's basically like a Thursday night for me anyway. So I'm absolutely (laughs) fine with that. It's fine. Um, Dakota, what would you choose between the two? 
Uh, I'm I'm actually going to side with you, Rachel. Uh, funny story time again. My my brother is a manager at the keg, and so I hope no one from corporate keg listens to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> but one night after a, a night of drinking downtown, he's like, "Hey, I'm I'm closing up shop. You guys should should come by. Uh, and we can have a a drink at my work." And so we went to a completely empty keg, which was kind of interesting and weird to see. Uh, he got us some beer and made us some shots. Uh, by this point, I was a little too drunk to remember what was going on, but I know I was really really enjoying it uh and it was quite a lot of fun so uh you know you gotta you gotta blast your own music you don't have to worry about other customers you've got a wide selection of alcohol at your disposal uh and you probably have some buddha nipples to touch <laughs> oh yeah the buddha nipples i was also trying to think of a question that revolved around the nipples and i couldn't think of anything <laughs> offensive or not offensive <laughs> question right um okay i'll go with mine which is and an, like it's a simple simple question i thought that i was i'm actually a bit surprised i thought somebody might have done it and i was like i don't know what my alternative was going to be would you rather name your kid jupiter with two p's or pluto with two p's <laughs> pluto with two p's two yes pluto pluto you announce them at their birthday party and use the what was the name they actually went with again it was like, it was like a, moon of, a Jupiter. It was a moon of Jupiter, yeah, which I can't think of. Um, yeah. it's apparently I will. I'm gonna put it out there too that as I I, I typed out Papa Pluto, it looks really weird. I know. A capital P and then a lowercase. P. I often think that <laughs> you weird. name your child. You have to also think about the potential bullying that would go on. I don't know. Pooh and Pluto and Pluto. You know, it's, <laughs> it's I guess. So, what is your choice, Juniper? Ju- then. Ju- Jupiter. Jupiter. Uh, Jupiter. Jupiter. You know what, Juniper. Uh, Jupiter. Yeah, I think Jupiter is a cool name. Jupiter is oh, a cool name. They would probably call it Jupiter because it looks like Jupiter when you write it well, out. And you you got a cat cat tie on this podcast, so she knows all That's about true. Katie, <laughs> Double T. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, okay, so you'd go with Jupiter. Yep. Uh, Katie, you're doing Papa Pluto. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Dakota, how about you? So uh, I I'd go with uh, Jupiter too because Papaluto is stupid. Uh, sorry, okay. uh, but in the trivia section of Laggy, it says the new baby getting saddled with a special name is initially going to be named Jupiter with two P's. The parents may not know, but in ancient Rome, it was originally spelled that way, uh, or Iupiter, spelled with an I, not a J at the beginning, uh, before Jupiter with one P became the standard. Additionally, never is it made clear what sex the baby is, but in theory, Jupiter should be a boy's name, and the last minute change to Callisto, explained by someone else's using the name first, could also be in due part, due part to Callisto being a girl's name. Hmm. I would have put Jupiter as a girl's name. Like, I thought girl. I probably would, too. Yeah. I probably would, go too, both yeah. ways on it. Yeah, you, know. you know, as someone named Dakota, I feel like I'm an expert to <laughs> talk on the subject. Uh, unisex name for sure. We'll, the, we'll find out in the sequel. Always choose unisex name, no matter what. Though I think both of those names are very unisex. I I agree. I agree. Because um, Callista is more like we we think oh, a woman's name, but Callisto. Callisto. Yeah. yeah. Callisto sounds a, a bit more masculine to me, if anything. But we need if, more. It's a name. Who cares? More names with O's at the end. Yes.
this is amazing. This is so much fun talking to you guys um, about laggies and other things as well. We didn't just talk about laggies. We talked about many, many different things. Um, so it was awesome. Thank you guys for taking the time to come onto the podcast and uh, taking the time to also like watch the movie, research, all that kind of stuff. So it was great. It was great chatting with you. Thank you for having us. This was so much fun. And I'm so glad that uh, you could have both of us on together. Yeah, it was fun. It was nice doing it with like a like another duo and then yeah, four four is four is always an interesting uh, group dynamic, so that's fun. Um do you guys have anything that you want to plug? Anything um Katie in particular? Do you have any new things that you want to um have our listeners turn to? Nothing new. You've already beautifully plugged everything off the top, but I've got my newsletter Pod the North and my podcast Alpaca My Bags and then I'm on Twitter at podcat with two Ts. And you can follow all of my podcasting musings there. Um, Mark is also on Twitter, but doesn't really talk much. <laughs> More of a, a serial liker. Yeah. <laughs> Not a reply guy, though. Only no, a liker. I'm a liker. Not yeah. a reply guy. Um, and also, I would highly recommend checking out Mark's old band, Beat Noir. Perfect. Yep, and Mark, do you a... have anything you want to plug, or, or did Katie just do that for you? Katie just did, I have like really nothing to plug. I'm working on some new music, but it's not pluggable at this moment. Um, yeah, nothing really exciting other than I just say everybody needs to watch Endor once it's uh, finished <laughs> its 12 episode season one arc. Because I think as a Star Wars fan, the recent stuff has been kind of Easter eggy and just kind of surface level and kind of serialized and whatnot. This feels like Star Wars HBO which is what we always wanted. So I think it's really deep and interesting and, and cool and, and adds a new flavor and wrinkle to a movie that I thought was kind of thin, which was Rogue One. So anyway, so much to say. Everyone should watch Andor once it finishes its 12 episode arc. It's not my project, but I will plug it anyway because I think it's good. Oh, and finally, you can follow our dog Joey on Instagram at touch underscore M underscore all underscore Joey. Touch them all Joey. It's a joke. <laughs> Yeah, cute. That's amazing. Yeah. So I'm sure Dakota will put all of your info into the show notes as he so diligently does. Um, and Dakota, do you want to see the episode out? Uh, yeah. First, Rachel, what about you? Um, oh, right. do you? Do you have any new and very huge news about the Asian cut that you want to promote there? What am I promoting? <laughs> Didn't you just interview someone? That oh, you now, right, uh, right. Sorry. Oh, there's something about? I missed. Um, yeah. So on the Asian Cut, which is a new website that myself and uh, two colleagues launched, um, we just posted up an interview that I did with Park Chan Wook, who has a new film out, Decision to Leave. Um, so you can go check out that interview. And again, I'm sure Dakota will very kindly link that for me as well. Thank you, Dakota, for being my ever supportive publicist. You're welcome. I, I do a much better job at this than you do. I know. Um, I forget. <laughs> uh, so yes, please, please check that out because it's really cool and I'm super jealous. Uh, Callum <laughs> and I are actually talking with each other right now about how we're both very jealous of you. Uh, guys, please. I'm I'm just but a woman, please. I'm I'm human just like you. <laughs> In Alex Garland's eyes. <laughs> oh, tying it all back. <laughs>
But you can follow this show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And if you have seen Laggies, let us know your thoughts on it. And who would you, uh, what would you rather, questions you have for that? Would you rather get, uh, dump someone at an airport or drink uh, watered down white wine or all that fun stuff? Let us know. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. And if you really like the show, consider giving us a tip on coffee. Thank you for checking us out. Mm-hmm.